Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Make sure that you have opened your heart to receive Him, and that gives peace for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That's what we have in the birth of our Savior, and that's why we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, and that's why joy can fill our hearts as well. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian shares his special Christmas message. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, in a message titled, Joy to the World. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are. We're looking at this famous passage here, this wonderful prophecy about the child that is to be born, or from that point, of course, as Isaiah is talking about the future, the child that would be born, the son that would be given. And in those earlier verses, there's a couple of mentions of joy. And so in the end, this whole prophecy is really about the bringing about of joy. And we want to just take the prophecy here, specifically verse six and also maybe verse seven, and just look at the application of it because it has application that is very far reaching. It's application that reaches out into eternity and it's universal, but it also has more personal application. And so we want to look at both things. But, but the thing that I want you to just think about for a moment as we launch into this is how what uh, the Lord is telling us through Isaiah the prophet is that all of our hopes and aspirations are, are really centered around a person. You know, today we think in terms of political principles, that's how we're gonna solve problems or you know, a progressive vision for the future, or we think about uh, you know, civilization continuing to advance and that's how we're going to uh, attain peace and prosperity. But the Bible says that all of these things are gonna happen because a person is going to implement these things. And yet that person is not just a, a mere person like, like we are, that person is the child that was born, the son that is given, that person is none other than God himself who becomes a man. And of course, that's the great story of Christmas. But think about this. Think about the multitudes of people in the world who, as they, as they think about you know, the future, as they, they live with, with hope for uh, better days ahead, how many people connect that to uh, an actual person. How many people even know that the Bible tells us that such a person would come into the world and, and do this? I, I would venture to say that not only do most people not know this, but I would even say that, that many of the people who call themselves Christians, because there are some two billion or so people on the planet who refer to themselves as Christians, 
But yet I think it's a very small number, even among those who call themselves Christians, who even realize that this is the great promise of scripture. That the savior, that the, the child that was born in Bethlehem, the son that was given there upon the cross at Calvary is also the one who is going to ultimately establish the kingdom. Here the prophet then tells us who the child is and says that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Now, let's look at each of the names that are given and let's look at them in the bigger picture, the relation to the world itself, kind of looking at it from the universal perspective, and then we'll come back and look at it more specifically. So we're talking about the one who's going to come, who's going to sit upon the throne, who's going to have that place of authority, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor because of the perfect plan that he will implement that will bring about universal and everlasting righteousness, peace, and prosperity. And so indeed, it will be that the, the nations of the world will look to Jesus sitting upon the throne of David and say he is the wonderful counselor. Look what he has brought about through his wisdom. You know, if you think in terms of, of human history, you know, we, we have just a variety of, of attempts to bring the world into subjection to particular you know, kings or governments or whatever the case might be. And, and most of the time, there's the idea that somehow this period of peace and prosperity is going to result if we can just you know, bring this person to power or if we can just get this philosophy, everybody to embrace this. But of course, we know that that never happens. And the moment we think that we're kind of even inching close to that, something changes and then we're, we're sort of back to square one. Our hope is in the child that was born, the son that was given, who is the wonderful counselor. And this is the hope that, that we have. This is the, you know, the larger uh, long-term hope that we who have put our faith in Christ, this is the hope that we have. Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, remember that this last word here at the end of verse seven is a promise for this prophecy. Don't forget that, that part of the prophecy has already been fulfilled. There was a child that was born. There was a son that was given. There's Bethlehem and there's Calvary. And so those are in the past. Those have already been fulfilled. And so we're just now waiting for the government to be upon his shoulders. And just as sure as God brought the first aspect of the prophecy to pass, we can rest assured that he will bring the second aspect of the prophecy to pass. And so he will be called Wonderful Counselor. But secondly, he will be called the Mighty God. And he will be called the Mighty God again. I mean, this is, this is his title, but it's something that the, the picture is, it's something that we will acknowledge. It's something that the, the people will refer to him as because he will subdue all of man's enemies. He will 
bring an end to war. He will bring an end to all of the conflicts that have plagued us. And he is able to do that because he has the power to do it. You know, the subduing of evil is no minor task, is it? It's, it's amazing how evil is so powerful and how it, it is so hard to subdue evil. And you think of the different times in history where I always marvel at this. When I think, you know, how does one man rise to such power where he controls an entire nation, perhaps, and, and, and has them living under his absolute authority? And often, most of the time, when that's the case, it's an evil, oppressive rule. And in history, we know in order to break that evil and that oppressive rule, that great force has to be exercised. But, but the, the point is, evil is powerful. That's why no one less than the mighty God can subdue the evil. And the child that is born, the son that is given, he is the mighty God. So he is able to accomplish the task of of subduing evil because he brings omnipotence to the problem. He brings all power to the problem. And just so you know, the word mighty, translated uh, mighty, is the Hebrew word gibor, which speaks of a mighty warrior. So the picture here is of a conqueror, that Christ is the one who has conquered. He has subdued God's enemies. He's subdued the enemies of his people. And so he is the mighty God. And then he is the everlasting father, or he is the father of the ages. And the father of the ages is really a better way to understand it than the everlasting father. Because when we hear everlasting father, we automatically get confused between, well, wait, I thought Jesus was the son and there was the father. And how come Jesus is being called the father and not the son? But the problem is it's not really the best translation. So it's really the the idea is that he is the father of the ages, or he is the father of the coming age, or he is the one who will rule over the coming age like a loving father. And so the picture, I mean, on the one hand, you've got the wonderful counselor, you've got all of that wisdom, the mighty God, you've got all of that power. But now in the picture of the father of eternity or the father of the coming age, you have the picture of loving paternal concern for those that have been committed to his charge. And then fourthly and finally, he is referred to here as the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And this is the great longing, isn't it? And, and, you know, here's the irony. On the one hand, we see that there's a longing for peace. We, and we have the peace accords. We have the peace treaties. We, you know, all, all of these things that even in our own uh, lifetime, we, we've heard about peace and so forth. But the longing for peace is, it seems that it is often overpowered by the human lust for power. So here, here's the irony. On the one hand, we're saying we, we want peace, but then power just sort of takes over. 
and, and we end up not having peace. And this has been the history of the world. And so understandably, there is that deep desire for peace, but it just never comes. It just eludes us, but Jesus will come and he is the Prince of Peace and he is going to establish a kingdom of peace. But there's a present fulfillment as well. And this is the, this is the personal part of the Christmas message. And we cannot lose sight of the personal part of this. You know, you know we, we're kind of living in a time where collectivism is sort of uh, taking hold of the minds of, of a lot of people. And whenever you get a, a, a you know, there, there's kind of these two views of, of life. I mean, there's more, but you know, you've got sort of the collectivist view and then you've got the individualistic view. And, and both of them, if taken to the extreme, are a problem. And... You know, the Bible, interestingly, says that both of them are important, but it keeps both of them in the, in the right perspective so you don't lose the balance. So the individual doesn't get lost in the masses, but then the individual doesn't, at the same time, just become so individualistic that they forget about the collective. And so with the gospel and with Jesus, we have both things, and we've been talking about the, the collective sense of things, the universal rule of Christ, but we also want to bring it back down to the fact that, you see, God sees the masses, but he sees the individual faces in the masses, and that's what others always fail to do, but God doesn't fail to do that. You see, for God so loved the world, that's the masses. God loves everybody. But at the same time, everybody has a face. Every single person matters. And you know where we see that so clearly illustrated is in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus comes. And yes, he ministers to the masses. But you know, you often find Jesus in the gospel accounts. You often find him alone with individual people. So he wasn't just concerned about humanity at large in a general sense, he was very much concerned with the individual person. And so the message and his place as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, that has personal application as well. And so let's think about that. Personal application, wonderful counselor. God has a plan for your life and for my life personally. God knows about you individually. God is concerned for you. Jesus said things like, God knows the number of hairs on your head. That's how concerned he is about you personally. And so he has a plan for our lives. And he is the one who is the all-wise God, and he wants to give us wisdom and understanding and counsel on how to live life the way it's supposed to be lived. I wonder how many billions of dollars have been spent over the years on counseling or therapy. And it just goes to show you that people recognize they, they need help. They need advice. They need the wisdom of others. But you know, God, who knows everything, 
that wonderful counselor, he wants to give us that wisdom at no cost. He wants to give us that counsel. He wants to reveal to us his plan for our lives. He wants to show us, and he does so in the pages of scripture and through his spirit. He shows us how to live and, and to live productive lives and to live the good life. And you know, when God says, live this way, he's not saying, live this way because I don't want you to have any fun. I just want you to be miserable, so you're gonna live this way, like it or not. When God says, live this way, you know why he says it? Because this is the best way to live. And when God says, don't live like this, he's not saying don't live like this because he wants to rain on your parade. He's saying, don't live like this because this will harm you. This will harm other people. In, in the long run, uh, you, you know, people say, oh, no, no, this is good. I need this. I want this. No, this, God's trying to hold something good back from me. Oh, no, he's not. God knows something about that that you don't know. You can't see it right now. You're blinded to the reality because of your own passion or whatever it is. But God says, don't do it because in the long run, it'll hurt you and others. So he gives us counsel. He shows us how to live. But remember, he does so based upon the plan that he has for our lives. God has a plan for the world. He has a plan for your life as well. And because he's the mighty God, he has all the power necessary for that plan to be worked out in our lives. And as we yield ourselves to him and as we seek his counsel, he not only gives us his word, but he gives us power. He gives us the assistance of the spirit to come and to enable us to do the thing that he's wanting us to do the thing that's gonna bless us and glorify him. He's the mighty God. And he does all of this because he's the father of the ages. He does all of this in tenderness and in love and in patience, just as a father or a mother does toward their children. And then, of course, all of this is leading us in the paths of righteousness and the paths of peace. And so as the Prince of Peace, he takes away our worries and he alleviates our fears and he calms our anxieties and he gives us a peace that passes understanding. So you see, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare a room. That's the, that's the now, that's the personal part of it. And let heaven and nature sing. That's the future. That's where everything is headed. So what we end up with as we receive the child that was born and the son that was given, we end up with hope for the future. We're not in despair. You know this. You've heard this before. It is true. There's more suicide this time of year than any other time of the year. And what does that tell you? It tells you that people are in despair. And, and why are people in despair? Well, they, for whatever reason, they, they just look and there's no hope. They just can't see any, anything positive or good that, that can ever come in the future. But this truth gives us that confidence that no, there, there is a, a good future coming. God has a promise that he's made and he is going to keep that promise. So I've got hope for the future, but then I've also got peace for the present because I have the wonderful counselor to 
counsel me and guide me through life. I have the mighty God who is for me to subdue my enemies, the sin in my own heart, mainly. But then those other enemies, the devil and those adversaries, I I have the mighty God there to subdue that. And he does this all out of a heart of love and compassion and tenderness. And so the Christmas message is both a message for the cosmos and it's a message for the individual person. And so joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let every heart prepare him room. That's now. And the question is just always back to this one simple thing. Have you prepared him room in your heart? Have you, have you opened your heart and allowed him to come in and to be the Lord of your life? Because that's where all of this becomes a reality. And, and like I said at the beginning, I wonder how many people there are who don't even know, even though they would say they're Christians, even though on Christmas they're going to, in some way, they're going to acknowledge the birth of Christ, but they don't even know this promise. They don't even realize that the Christ who came and was born there in Bethlehem is also going to come again and set up a kingdom. They don't realize that. But even more pertinent to the moment, they don't realize that he's present to personally bless them and to work in their lives. Make sure that's not you. Make sure that you have opened your heart to receive him. And that gives peace for today, as the song says, and bright hope for tomorrow. That's that's what we have in the birth of our Savior. And that's why we sing joy to the world, joy to the world. The Lord has come. And that's why joy can fill our hearts as well. And, and my prayer for myself and for you, for each of us is that as we, we go into this week now, as we, you know, next Sunday, we'll be actually there on the day. And of course, these are just days in the year. I mean, really, as believers, we're always celebrating the birth of Jesus in a sense, right? We're always cel- we're celebrating the Lord. But, but we do have this time where we can just sort of pause a little bit and think about these things, all of that to say, you know, just pondering these things, thinking about them, intentionally thinking about the reality that wow, God became a man. And what, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for our world? And as we just think on these things, and, you know, so often I know I find myself, I'm thinking on so many other things, And sometimes the things I'm thinking about are getting me upset. Sometimes they're getting me stressed out. Sometimes I'm getting anxious over them. And then I have to stop and say, wait a second, I got to come back. And this is what I need to think about. And especially now. So my, my prayer is that we are able to do that in this week. And that in doing that, that joy that we sang about would really be our experience, that our hearts would be filled with joy. December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? 
Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's easy for the holiday season to draw our attention to shopping, parties, programs, and events, while the Christmas story is relegated to the statue of a myth or fairy tale for children. But is the Christmas story actually grounded in history? Well, in her book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story, Rebecca McLaughlin tackles four basic questions surrounding Christmas. She deals with the questions surrounding if Jesus was a historical figure, if we can take seriously the historical accounts of the gospel, and if the virgin birth can actually be believed, and why it all matters. If you know a person who is skeptical that the Christmas story is true, or if you are a skeptic yourself, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.